The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company. Regina's only downtown brewery. Well, this is a football podcast, and we will get into football, but sometimes there are moments in the world of sports and in life in general that uh, transcend kind of the little bubble that they usually live in, and I think it's safe to say something that we just witnessed recently deserves a little bit of discussion on this podcast, and that was, I'm just going to call it, The Shot. Kawhi Leonard eliminating the Philadelphia 76ers in Game 7 at the buzzer. Interestingly to note, apparently, uh, according to Sportsnet stats and probably through some other sources they got it from, the first game-winning shot at the buzzer in Game 7 history in the NBA as the Raptors move on to the Eastern Conference Final, as they will probably lose to the Milwaukee Bucks, but at least they got there. <laughs> and uh, it's just a moment that has... Everyone talking because it was so crazy, and we're going to get into it a little bit. We're not going to spend too much time on this, so don't worry. If you want to skip forward a couple minutes, we'll be into football talk. But it's just it was just one of those moments you can't help but get caught up in it. I'm sure even if you're not a basketball fan, if you're not a sports fan, like I was with my family tonight, yep. and you know, like my sister-in-law who's not a basketball fan, I showed her the clip, and she was like, "Wow." You know, like, it was just, it was just, it's insane, and we'll get into the parallels because it's crazy that the last time these teams met in the playoffs, it came down to a shot when Vince Carter missed a shot, and this time they made the shot, and it's just, sports, man, there's nothing else like it. it. That is exactly it. It, 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 It's it's like a movie, it's the drama, it is, you're right, it's captured everybody's attention. I admittedly am not a big basketball guy, I love watching it live, not much uh, for watching one on TV, but this whole game... Uh, had my attention and and same parallel like my father-in-law who uh who big sports fan uh we always talk sports when we get together don and i always do but uh he asked me he's like tonight he's like hey when's the raptors game i i, I want to watch this and i'm thinking to myself I'm like you, you've never watched a raptors game before in your life but <laughs> just that that moment was just sports in a capsule and that's and that's why we love it and I, I think one of the better tweets I saw, and if uh, if I recall who I've... Uh, I'm not going to lie, I've been drinking beer since before the game, before we record this year, Joel. So uh, I'm doing this one with, uh, you know, at least some warm and fuzzy feelings going on. So my memory might not be the sharpest, but... Uh, what I else saw is new there? It, it's true. Uh, I saw it on Twitter, and somebody said, the ghost of Vince Carter's miss 18 years ago is the one that tapped that ball in. But I <laughs> love, like, the reaction of the fans at Scotiabank yeah. Arena... That shot goes up, and it's silence. Oh, yeah. And bounces once, bounces twice. You're thinking to yourself, oh, my goodness. It's just this moment that seemed like, now that I've seen it on the highlights a couple times, I'm like, ow, that, that didn't feel like this lo- uh, that long. But watching it live was like, oh, my God, this is taking forever. It's that basketball going in. And then it drops, and it's just bedlam. And you're right. This is why we love sports is because things like that that are just just bananas and uh i loved it and it's a franchise altering moment for the raps and uh yeah they've definitely uh between a a pretty successful launch of the canadian elite basketball league uh this past week um Mm -hmm. 
you know, that piqued my interest in watching this Raptors playoff run. I got to say, uh, might be adding more basketball to the to the dish. So I'm sure my wife will love that as I pick up another sport to watch on TV. <laughs> well, as I've dropped hockey this year, I've kind of been following along the basketball a little bit. I don't... Fair. I still don't really watch a lot of the regular season just because... In the NBA, still, there is a bit of that un- uncompetitive balance where there's maybe a handful of teams that really have a shot, and you kind of know where everyone's going to finish. So it's it's hard, really, to watch the regular season at times, in my opinion. Yeah. If you're the hardcore basketball fan, I get it. Um, yeah. But I've always loved watching the NBA playoffs. Um, so I've watched a fair bit of that over the years regardless, but it's really ramped up this year. And, you know, just speaking of my love of the NBA playoffs, I will, I will always, to this day, when, you know, it could, it could always be surpassed, but to me, one of the greatest sporting events I ever watched, not like alive, but just on TV, was the 2013 NBA Final Game 6 between the Heat and the Spurs. That yeah. game was just off the charts good. I remember being in Saskatoon with Jamie and I. We watched that game in the condo we were staying in and the bar we went to that night, and it was just, we were both just like, wow. Like, that game was just ridiculous. It was just, and yeah, the Heat won, the Heat ended up winning, and LeBron got his championship, whatever, and that sucked. But the game itself yeah. was off the charts and those are the kind of moments the playoffs create and i think you know the nba playoffs they get so good as you go especially the second yeah. round where you have those eight teams the first round can be a bit of a dud but i i love the playoffs that build and the nba playoffs do that so that's kind of what sucks me in every year and this was just another one of those moments that really only i guess baseball can too there's the drip but it's more of a dramatic build up to uh you know uh, you know like joe carter's walk off home run kind of thing yeah the, it's the not quite at the run. same level, but no other sport really allows you the ability to win the game. Other than when it's basically when it's essentially that it's over, right? Yeah. You can't do anything else. It's up in the air, and you're like, ah, and then you win. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, 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 and no, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. And and the thing I do love, and you said it best, the thing I love about the NBA playoffs is is how it progresses, right? Um, basketball is one of those sports that the cream of the crop always seems to prevail, mm-hmm. right? You rarely see that, that I mean, outside of uh, the Dallas Mavericks a few years ago, you rarely see that 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 eight seed pull off the major upset. Yeah. And I think an eight run. seed has won like maybe once. I think it was yeah. like the Golden State Warriors before the start of this run that they're on. They were kind of like a meddling team and they were the eight seed one year and they won. I think that yeah. was like the first time ever it had happened in NBA history. So, yeah. <laughs> no, no, but you're absolutely right. And there is, there is something. There's something to say uh, about, you know, we all love the chaos that, that is hockey and football. Mm-hmm. And I mean, football, it's one game, so anything can happen. But yeah. to me, there is something to be said that, you know, at the end of the end, at the NBA finals are always going to be arguably, they're always going to be one of the best teams in the league. And you know yeah. that. And, yeah, and, or, and, and that's what makes it so good. I remember even watching... Uh, Again, another great uh, finals game it was go- Game Seven, Golden State and uh, Cleveland, when LeBron had had the block, like mm-hmm. like just this 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 freakish athletic play that 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 you knew he had in him, and and, and like I, I remember watching the sports science episode on it, and just how perfectly he timed that, and how like no other human can get and do that. Like that's that's moments you see in the NBA final. You're right, the regular season sucks. It it really does. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and even, even at that, you know, I, I'm used to watching sports where, you know, a touchdown in the first quarter can be so monumental and, and a big goal in, in, in the first period can be so monumental. 
And basketball seems like okay, it kind of goes back and forth till about the fourth quarter. But oh, yeah, there's always man, all, generally speaking, there's a lot of ebbs and flows and ups and downs, and you just kind of play yeah. through it and you see what happens at the end. Yeah, you do get the odd blowout. And yeah, and I what I do like about basketball is when there's a blowout, they basically just play out the clock and move on to the next game. Yeah, exactly. There's no nonsense. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Like, and there's nothing nothing to delay it. It's it's okay. Let's let's get this over with. Let's go up and down the court and and finish this off. But uh, yeah. It, it, you're right about the NBA playoffs. They've always been fascinating. I've always watched them. And I, yeah, again, I would attend a regular season game live in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And I will be attending uh, regular season games live for the uh, Saskatchewan Rattlers uh, just to, you know, check it out, see something, see something cool. But yeah, it, you're right. The playoffs are just, there's something, there's something to them. And, and they really make some, there's so many moments every year, like, like the Kawhi Leonard shot. And that's that makes them cool, and I'm fully hooked now. Yeah, and now that we've effectively lost all our listeners as well as basketball talk, we can uh, probably move on to uh, the bulk of this episode. We're obviously going to get into the Riders uh, signing Solomon Elamian, as that was a move that I think many of us thought was going to happen. Yep. Once it came down to the final two, uh, we'll do a little bit of a draft recap, kind of talk about that, uh, talk a little bit about John Ryan, and a little bit about uh, training camp as that's opening up. At least it is scheduled to open up next weekend in Saskatoon. Whether it actually does mm-hmm. or not will be another question. But uh, as of right now, it's set to, and we'll just have to wait and see until we get to then, John. Um, I'm almost scared to ask because of the weekend you've had, but uh, <laughs> what's in the glass? Well, what's in the glass? Uh, a nice, smooth recovery beer, <laughs> uh, Rebellion Lentil Cream. It just It's tasty. It's smooth. It's not big on the alcohol content. Uh, you're right. One of my uh, dearest friends and longtime curling teammate, uh, Mitchell Rishko, got married this weekend, and we had one hell of a party last night. So uh, kind of in recovery mode today, of course, got kicked back into it by the Raptors game. But so Rebellion Lentil Cream, uh, the beer of choice this evening. Nice. Uh, I'm taking a little bit easy tonight, too, as on uh, Friday night, I uh, enjoyed a nice uh, 10% beer from Blackbridge. And Ooh. then... Um, Last night had a friend's party, a birthday party, birthday gathering, so I had a few. So uh, ending off the weekend with a nice uh, pile of bones, cranberry sour. Ooh, yeah, that that stuff's so good. I that that's that's also a good recovery beer. I just mm-hmm. I I haven't really left my house today, so I went with what is in my fridge. <laughs> that's entirely fair. That's entirely fair. Uh, someone who may or may or may or may not have left his house today was uh, new Riders middle linebacker. Well, we assume middle linebacker Solomon Elamian. Mm-hmm. As he officially signed with the team a couple of days ago. Um, as I said, I don't think it's overly surprising. I think once it was no. confirmed that it was going to is basically down to the Riders or Hamilton, I think you had to give the Riders at least 60-40 odds on that. Yeah. That it was going to happen because I don't, for some reason it just seems whenever these big names are free to move about from West Division teams, they generally don't go east. No. So I, and so I, I just never really felt that Unless Hamilton's offer was so good or there was such a blaring, glaring need or he really thought they were going to win, eh, it always felt like the Riders were probably the heavy favorites for this guy. Yeah, I, I, the only thing was when Hamilton uh, released that uh, that handful of players earlier this week before the Alamemian signing w- was made official, um, I thought maybe I'm like maybe they've cleared out a whole bunch of cap room because they put some ridiculous cash offer on the table and he's about to take it. I think that was the only moment of this entire process that I said to myself, oh, maybe they're loading up to go ahead and sign him. 
and they didn't. Uh, again, fills a need for the riders that you and I have talked uh, mm-hmm. so much about to the point that I'm sure if you or I ever ran into Sam Hurl and he happened to listen to this podcast, <laughs> he'd probably punch either one of us in the throat. So I, I feel uh, like Sam Hurl kind of knows what's going on. I, I think he's seen even just Cameron Judge getting to where he is, and he probably knows his role on this team now and is pretty comfortable with it, I would assume. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I don't talk to Sam on a regular basis, so I, I can't tell you that for sure. But that, he, I, I, he doesn't seem to me like he's a dumb guy. Like, he knows. I think he can – you know, football players generally know what's going on yeah. with their team, and I, I – I feel like Sam probably has an idea that he's kind of a mix-in linebacker special teamer guy now. So yeah, oh, absolutely. It's just he's been he's been. If we had a whipping boy for this show <laughs> talking about this team, it's Sam Hurl, and that goes back to day one, uh, episode one of this podcast. So uh, it moves him again to you mentioned the the reserve fill in, uh, give Cameron Judge some time off because you now yeah. got to think that he's moved ahead on the depth chart. Uh, he's still going to be, he works, I mean, everything we say about Sam, he works his ass off and mm-hmm. you know, he's going to, he's great on special teams and you know what, you need a handful of guys with a, with a Canadian passport on your team that fill exactly that role. Well, that how, how many years team. was Mike McCullough on this team and essentially played that role and was occasionally the starting middle linebacker because an American got hurt? No, and you're, you're absolutely <laughs> you know? right. Like the, that is exactly, you know. And Mike McCullough would come in for a couple of games and, and generally be energized and, and, and play well. And I and you're right. The Sam Hurl is the new uh, Mike McCullough. Also, as a total aside, uh, Chris Zarka was at the wedding I was at last night. Oh, really? He wasn't at the hashtag CFL wedding. The Strule uh, wedding that was all over No, he, he was on at the Strule <laughs> wedding that, that, in fairness, I, I, I don't know the, the Struleys. Uh, they sound like wonderful people. Love I've, I met them. At, I, I've, I've interacted with Deb and Vince a little bit on Twitter, and I met them at the Great Cup last yeah. year. Lovely people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really, really good people. Congrats on them on the CFL wedding, which was which was super cool watching. You see the photos. Everybody in their jerseys. That was, that was legit. Uh, no, we were all looking uh, to quote fake gainer. Dapper AF last night at okay. uh, Mitchell's wedding, and and Chris Zarka was there. He's dating one of Mitchell's relatives. I don't know. I talked to him. It got blurry after that. Okay, fair enough. And so I wrote the piece for Three Down Nation because obviously when something happens with the writers, I'm asked, or the presumption is that I should probably write something about it. And so I did. So I did. So I did. Um, and I I, I, th- I had to think about it for a little bit, and I was sitting there, and I had a little bit of writer's block for a little bit. Then I had a beer, and I got a little bit better. And I thought to myself, and we talked about this before, and I was like, could this defense actually be better this year? And I started thinking about it more. And I'm like, uh-huh. they just might. Because the way the defense is set up now, and Jeremy O'Day has shrewdly you know, made the switches where I think it was safe to say, you know, last year's defense is obviously very good. It's a oh, very yes. different defense now. We had, they had, The yes. Riders have built their defense now more of a traditionally sound defense rather yeah. than a defense that relies on a genius co- defensive coach drawing up ridiculous schemes and relying on pure athletic freak ability of certain players. Yeah, and, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, you look at every position is now filled by a traditionally strong player that traditionally fits that mold of what you want, like like Mika Johnson and Solomon Alamimian uh, and all the different Even Mike Edem at safety in is person. coming into his role in there. Like, he's he was a guy that's kind of been around the league a little bit, and, you know, we didn't really yeah. think much of him. All of a sudden, last year in Chris Jones' defense, but, yeah, this guy's a legit starting Canadian safety now. <laughs> a- absolutely, absolutely, yeah. He, he's grown into that role, and you look at, yeah, you look at that entire team, and 
I know I saw tons of memes about the front seven on the riders and, and how other quarterbacks have to be feeling right now. And yeah, traditionally, like I'm pretty sure, and, and you said it best and we were talking about this before we started recording, uh, you could just take that team and just let them go ball. And I think they're going to win. Naturally, of course, they're not just going to not have defensive meetings, and defensive schemes, no, of course. things like no. that. But, but the level of talent you have out there, uh, as you said, you're not going to have to scheme to have success. Yeah. The players will bring you success, and the schemes will put it over the top. So it's going to be, yeah, uh, other quarterbacks, other teams, just... And, and, and I think most importantly, the, the for as good as that defense was last year, their biggest flaw, especially when Mikhail Brooks is over the lineup, was run defense. Yes. And now with Mika yes, Johnson and, in the middle and, and, and Saul and, and, and Saul in the middle, uh, I can never say his name or write his name. Now at middle linebacker, <laughs> that that changes that dynamic for them. And the fact that, okay, now teams like Winnipeg and potentially Ottawa, we don't know what they're going to look like without William Powell, but we believe they'll probably still have a pretty good running game because they always have good offensive line. And that always, yeah. that's the start of every good run game is your offensive yeah. line. So you would think that those teams will still be able to do what they did, but now they have an answer to it. They didn't have that before, really. Like they weren't—they yeah. weren't awful. I'm not because they didn't get gashed every game. They weren't awful against the run, but there were times, yes, especially you know the playoff game. Andrew Harris went off, and he effectively yeah, won that game for them because there was that hole there, especially when Mika, jo- Mika, Mika Johnson, Mikael Brooks wasn't available. Yeah, and and, and you're ab- absolutely right, and. It'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, you hope hope Mika doesn't get injured. But as you mentioned, now you have your safety net. You know, if, if Mika misses a game or two, you still have Saul in the middle and, and it, vice versa. And, mm-hmm. and can we also, I think the Riders should hold a contest before the season starts. Where if you could say Solomon Elamimian five times fast <laughs> and then spell his name, your season tickets are free. Good thing I don't need season tickets because I would never win that. <laughs> Neither would I. Literally, as I, was ri- literally, as I was writing that piece for Three Down Nation, I just yeah. had El Mamin copied, and I would just paste it every time I wanted to say his name. <laughs> it was just so much easier than trying to remember this at this point. I'll get it eventually. It'll come around. Like, I learned to spell Hyrulahu for when he was in Winnipeg because, he was, you know, you had to talk about him enough. Yeah. Just, eventually, you pick up on it. But, yeah, right now, I'm just like, oh, El Mamin, how do I spell that? I go to Google, and it autofills. I'm like, okay, copy. <laughs> copy paste 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 that, that's a, that, that, that's a new it, world trick in uh sports journalism now is just copy and paste the names you don't know how to spell well and and the best thing is is, is you're probably because it's such a difficult name you're probably spelling it like it's not like you can just do like a, a search and replace no you probably butcher it at least like five different ways in an article so yeah oh yeah because it's, it's always like it's like, always going to pop up on like as incorrect and it's always going to be spelled wrong according to autocorrect so it, 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 exactly, because because in fairness, it it, it kind of looks like one of those names that uh, you know somebody might have made up as a bad guy name in in some sort of video game, the evil Elamimian. Yeah, and so yeah, Saul's on the team now, and that should make the Ryder defense better. Of course, everything's always just on paper, and we'll have to wait and see what happens. Uh, as we kind of rehash our last episode and move toward. You know, the definitive answers as to what we were talking about last episode. Uh, the CFL draft also happened since the last yep. time we talked. And uh, I don't think the Riders really had any major surprises. Uh, we'll get into a little bit of uh, the eighth round pick in a bit there because I thought that was interesting for the reaction from some people. But <laughs> yes, um, I'm going to have to go ahead right now. We're just, we're just going to get into this. I'm going to disagree with uh, Three Down Nation's John Hodge 
He wrote about it on draft day, and he continued to talk about it during the Three Down Nation podcast with himself and Justin Dunk, where they talked about the draft that he thought felt the yeah. Riders needed another Canadian offensive line. I'm gonna. I don't agree with that. Now, could they have used another one? Sure. Did they need one? Yeah. No. I don't think. I don't think they had to take a Canadian offensive lineman. Um, it's because essentially signing Dakota Shepley the days before the draft kind of comes out as a draft pick in the end at that point. The guy hasn't played. Yeah. He's new year roster. He adds to the depth. You know, they have Darius Bladek, who they're pretty high on. They have some other guys that they're pretty high on. Like, they have options. I think the depth has improved greatly compared to where it was. Yes. I mean, especially, you know, how much did we, you know, kind of, you know, shadow over this offensive line at the start of last year. I think even over the course of last year, they got better as the year went on. And... Yeah. You know, the same group is back, so there's no reason to believe that they shouldn't be able to build off what they have with a little bit more reinforcements that they already have, that they have now added to the roster a little bit. Well, well, and two, if the ratio changes uh, at the end of the CBA negotiation, which is floating out there that it could happen, and the riders, you know, maybe decide to go American, an extra spot in an offensive line, you're always going to be able to find that guy. There's always American offensive linemen sitting around someplace. Uh, but, no, I, I like their Canadian depth. I think uh, depending on, and, and again, both of us really hope he gets well soon, Dan Clark, mm-hmm. uh, in a single vehicle car accident on the way home from a community event, uh, released from hospital. No word on, on how badly injured uh, Dan is, the Regina product, but... Uh, that depth could be tested early here in camp uh, if he does miss a little bit of time. But uh, you're right. Getting Dakota Shipley, uh, to me, was almost like the CFL handing out a random uh, pick at the end of the second round. Just I mean, why, why, so would they, why would they do that? <laughs> and, and, who, and what kind of professional sports league would do that a week before the draft? Nah, madness, craziness. So what they ended up doing instead was they took a couple of receivers and in the first two rounds. And they took an interesting uh, guy after that, which I think is a very... There's still obviously fingerprints of Chris Jones on this draft just because of yeah. the fact that you're not going to turn around, you know, your draft philosophy a couple of months before when the, the guy changes. It's like when a new GM takes right. over in any sport, it's basically your first draft. You're running off the old guy's draft because you haven't had time to build your own thing. Yeah. So that's just the way it is. But yeah, this, yeah. So they have a guy, they draft the guy who's a defensive back, linebacker, safety, kind of can play a lot of different things and probably a special teamer. So that's a good addition. But yeah, yep. so they went and they got a couple of receivers. And I've always been on the record as a guy. I'm like, ah, I don't like when you draft for need. Yeah. But, and I wrote the piece for Three Down Nation as well, where I thought, okay, they drafted for need, but they did it in a smart way where, yes. okay, they weren't definitively, you couldn't say that these two guys were definitively the best player available, but they yeah. weren't reaching. They weren't doing a severe reach to get a guy. There was a reasonable spot for those two players to be selected. So, when the best player available also fits a need, then yes, you should do it. Yeah, and I'm with you 110%. I mean, I, I think the consensus and, I, and reading through uh, Haji's uh, pick-by-pick draft grades, he did rate uh, those riders' moves with the receivers uh, fairly high. And I would even argue uh, before the draft that the riders had a significantly greater need to find a Canadian wideout mm-hmm. than they did to add to the offensive line depth because – Let's face it, you don't have the Canadian Air Force sitting there in Ryderville anymore, and you're going to need some flexibility with the ratio depending on injuries and things like that. So, yeah, go out. they got a few really talented, really well-rated guys that maybe can step into the lineup here right away uh, and play that that Canadian receiver spot that it looks like the Riders are going to need. And hopefully that's not just a, a throwaway spot like it seems to be on some offenses where you still, you know, you have the ability, team can shut down the Americans and, and shut down 
your team. I'm, you know, thinking like Winnipeg in the Julian Fadoli Gadino days. Uh, basically, he was just irrelevant. He's out there running routes. I mean, might as well you, you or I been out there in shoulder pads because he never saw the ball. But um, I do like the moves. Uh, you're right. They didn't reach. Uh, you know, best player available may have been another guy that would have filled a different need. But I, again, John Hodge likes the picks. I will always defer to Haji when it comes to draft things and life in general. He's generally a much smarter human than me. Well, he is a teacher. He doesn't just sell cars. So that's that. I don't sell cars. <laughs> I just say I that. I, just, I, just, I know you don't. I just love to get a rise out of you by saying it. I know you do. <laughs> Although technically I did sell you your car, but that's okay. Um, yes, the paperwork I, says I otherwise. Sell... That's 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 true it does it and and actually i think one of the guys that technically sold you your cars is not there anymore but that's a whole other aside um i'm a financial services manager damn it i talk to the people i'm a people person that's right (laughs) i drive a dodge stratus i will whip you in the nuts with a car antenna okay that reference that was a will ferrell saturday night live he was a regional manager i was referencing office space but you know oh well i took your office space reference and then went to snl Apparently, yeah. I got the Office Space reference. I love that movie. Absolutely. Who doesn't? Uh, Maybe not. Okay. I don't know if Justin Dunk has seen it. He hasn't seen a lot of like I haven't seen a lot of things. He's seen even less than I have, which is impressive. Well, that's cool. <laughs> okay, okay. You need to find out before the next recording if Dunk has in fact seen Office Space, and if not, um, respect him, love him. What the hell is wrong with him? <laughs> yeah. Uh... I don't know. Another guy uh, we don't know if they've seen Office Space or not is John Ryan. Um, considering considering his wife is a comedian, I'm going to say he has. Probably, yep. And, is, and there isn't really news here. I just want to. I just really want to get into this quickly because the yep. question keeps coming up every time Jeremy O'Day is available. Is if there's any interest or what's going on with John Ryan because he, you know, he worked out with the team once and I guess he's kind of expressed interest in maybe playing here one day. Like if it was going, it's one of those things. It's like the Jeff Knox Jr. thing that came up. I think yeah. if it was going to happen, it would have by now. And I really I don't think they need to, because John Ryan is going to demand a pretty hefty tag to come play yeah. in the CFL, just because of his his background, his experience, and the fact that he's a damn good punter. Yeah. Unless he really feels like being charitable and he just really wants to finish his career in Saskatchewan and he's willing to play for like the minimum, then okay. Yeah, but. I don't think that's probably that's probably not the case. He's not in it for the money, but it's just more of like a respect kind of thing, right? And yeah. it comes down to the fact that, okay, John Ryan's a phenomenal punter. He was great in the NFL. I have no doubt that he'd be great in the CFL because he's great in the CFL before. But what Craig Dickinson does on special teams, especially with his punt team, is it's it's very systematic. It's very it's very ball placement. It's not that John Ryan can't do that. It's just they have a guy who's pretty good at doing that right now. And do you really need to pay someone else more to do the same job at essentially the same level? No, uh, I, I'm with you, uh, especially to with Josh Bartell still counting as a national, uh, thanks to the grandfathered in clause and the Josh Bartell rule. Um, I don't think you need if, – if you wanted to flip that, like if you had an American punting there, uh, maybe you look at yeah, moving maybe there, yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. I <clears> – <throat> You're right. I, I don't I don't see the need for John Ryan, you know, much like the shiny red swing line stapler. Josh Bartell's a perfectly good stapler. He's not he's not the shiny red swing line, but you know, no. John, John Ryan is. And I think you, you like you said if he wants to come play in Canada, there will be a team out there that will pay him to, you know, come out and play in Canada. I mean, I think 
to myself, I, I, I very, I, I know like Winnipeg's got Medlock. Yep. But Ryan's a great punter. You always bring him in there, and I mean, there's lots of teams that can use him, and even just for the little bit, bit of a marketing boost. I wouldn't be surprised if he really wants to play a team like, you know, Toronto. Well, or the Argos Montreal. did work him out as well, I believe. Exactly. Uh, to me, it makes more sense for the Argos to go go well, out. Well, at the same a, time, I don't know if a punter is really going to move the needle in Toronto. Uh, the only reason a punter moves the needle is here is because he's from here and he played well, for the Rams, well, basically, right? But but I think I think, um, and I don't think he moves the needle in the sense that you want to come watch him, but. No. If you sign a John Ryan and he's an extremely charismatic and funny guy, the biggest advantage for the Argos signing a John Ryan is not just his abilities in the football field, but you let him go out there, do some interviews, spend some time on TSN radio, Sportsnet radio, you know, get people interested because, you know, the punter comes on and, and can be thoughtful and well-spoken and crack a couple jokes and maybe get you a little bit more interested in the team, right? Like, to me, that's that's the appeal of having John Ryan as a name guy that's fair. on that's your fair, team. Yeah, yeah that, that's entirely fair. I, I never really thought of exactly that side of it, but, I mean, Josh Bortel's kind of that guy around here, too. He's got a great personality and is able to oh, God, yeah. cut some good jokes, and that's kind of why he's well-known around here, besides being a good punter. So, yeah, yeah. I can definitely see that. Um, whether... Josh Bartell and the rest of the specialists show up in about a week. Uh, will be yet to be seen as uh, training camp is finally right around the corner. At least yep. we're hoping it is. It's supposed to be. It's scheduled to open next weekend. Yep. And the biggest question right now is will it? And there's been, you know, there's been a lot of back and forth between the league recently. The CFLPA put out the letter to the members that uh, various media got their hands on, including us. That is like, you know, the... The teams in Quebec and Manitoba and Saskatchewan and BC are going to go, you know, if there's no deal, they're not reporting. The teams in Ontario and Alberta will yep. be in a legal strike position of the 23rd or whatever. Some people are crowing about competitive advantages, yep. but really it's a few days for that team, whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't really think it's going to make that much of a difference. I mean, it looks weird, but the laws are what they are. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to look ahead to camp right now without knowing really what's going to happen. And... You know, there's this old side of me that I, I still don't really know. And, you know, I'm believing more and more that, yeah, okay, if there's no deal, the players in those markets where they can won't show up. And they shouldn't. Yeah. It's, it's really the only tool they have. And they shouldn't show up and there shouldn't really. The pressure point is that first preseason game because that first preseason game and all preseason games are essentially free money for the owners because you're not really paying yeah. the players at that point, but it's still a gate for your team. Not a yeah. huge gate, but it's a gate where you're essentially don't have to pay anyone to be there. So yeah. you could argue a preseason game might be more important to the owners of this league than a regular season game just on the fact of the costs involved are significantly lower. Yeah, and and you're absolutely right. Um, I, I think I'm, I'm on board with, and, and, and so are you, uh, with the players using their only tool of, of not showing up because I mm-hmm. think when they did show up, you and I were covering that training camp. Like they took away yep. all of their bargaining power. If they if was... they show up, they might as well just sign whatever deals on the table. Exactly, and that's essentially what happened. Um, you're right. That first preseason game, although as you mentioned, not a huge revenue generator. Uh, it is a revenue generator where you don't have to pay, pay player salaries. But I think any any veteran member of camp, any veteran player you speak to, says camp's about two weeks too long. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised. If the pressure really doesn't, st- everybody doesn't start feeling the pressure till after that first week, because mm-hmm. you know you you lose a week 
maybe two of camp. You know, everybody's kind of, let's face it, I'm sure everybody's okay with that. You know, you, you can figure out most of your positional battles within two weeks. And, and let's be honest, when we, and especially I think in the CFL with the smaller rosters, I think we in the media make a bigger deal out of certain position battles than there actually is. Like, oh, absolutely. For the most part, the coaches come in with a mindset of who they believe their starters, who their guys are, and what the depth chart already looks like. It's just, is it going to be confirmed or not, essentially? Every once in a while, you get a situation that arises where there's a big change, and you're like, yeah. okay, then you have to realize, like, Corey Sheets in 2013, that was one of those situations where they admitted he was fourth on the depth chart, but he played his way onto the starting roster in the rest of history, right? Yeah. So ab- occasionally absolutely. that happens, but for the most part, yeah, like, even right now, I'm sure they have who they believe are going to be the starting Canadian receivers, even though, you know, that's going to be the talk going into camp is who is going to be the starting receiver, who's going to back up Zach Caleros. They probably already know. It just depends on if something weird happens or not. No, no, and you're you're absolutely right. And something weird, as you mentioned, is, is as you mentioned, Corey Sheets, I thought to myself, when was the last time a guy came out of left field to become a starter and I legitimately just... Yeah, and, and that was one of those, of and that was like, that, no, that was 2012, sorry, not 13, where they, yeah. they didn't have a starting running back, so it wasn't that out of left field. They probably had an idea yeah. of what they thought, but the fact was there wasn't an incumbent there that he stole a job from. No, a- absolutely, and he was so head and shoulders above. I remember being, actually went to that preseason game just mm-hmm. as a fan, yeah. uh, where Corey Sheets came out and just ran all over. But he, it, I remember texting a friend of mine and going, he's a starting running back. Corey Sheets is the starting running back by a mile. Like this, Oh, is, it was like, obvious. Yeah, I, I, he was that damn good. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think the pressure will be on until about two weeks from now. Uh, and then I think both sides will, will bat down. I mean, I think everybody agrees the players deserve more mm-hmm. it's just how much more yeah right um and and that's you know do you, you can't i don't think this league's at a point yet you can tie the salary cap to revenue no as much as i, I think it would, that would be you know a big league move for them I just, yeah I, I think realistically there's probably really only three teams that consistently make money in this league yeah exactly and from what i kind of you know you snoop around a little bit it feels like that's saskatchewan winnipeg and hamilton um, yep. you know, Ed, Ed, Edmonton as well too. Edmonton did this year, but research. if he, yeah, they made two point eight million, but it looks like a lot of that this year was based on the Grey Cup. Yeah, but they are a team that are you know they teeter kind of along the line, so they're not bad. Um, yeah, you know, you know, I talked about this with a friend of the show, Dan Plaster. You know, yeah. you, okay, so yeah, you're, you know, Toronto. At least now the Argos' losses are able to be absorbed quite easily by MLSE. Like the Argos' yeah. losses are like a blip on the radar compared to their overall revenue picture. Yeah. Um, I believe in Ottawa, the Red Blacks probably lose money, but there's sort of there's a bigger picture of play at there where their sports entities like them and the 67s and the Fury are more of a tool to get people down there to generate revenue through the real estate more than anything else. Absolutely. So, the, you know, if they lose money there, it's offset elsewhere and it's it's all big picture to them. Yeah. Montreal, absolutely, they need to get that on track. Same with BC, though. Interestingly yeah. enough, the Whitecaps drew about a BC Lions crowd the other day. Just saying. Yeah, they did. Yeah, <laughs> and again, again, large, and, large and you know, and some, yeah, and some, Calgary shady ish going on at the Whitecaps. But. Yeah, there is. Calgary again, they're part of another group that they can absorb the losses. I think they, yeah. they they need a bit of a shot in the arm there, but they can be sustainable financially. But yeah, there isn't like there isn't this overabundance of money in the league, even though we've seen revenues go up. Because, yeah, okay, revenues have gone up, but as revenues have gone up and as football has grown and as this league has done more to, you know, 
keep up with what professional football has become, costs have gone up a heck of a whole lot too. Like, let's not fool ourselves into how expensive it is to run a professional football team too. So I'm not trying to say that I'm on the owner's side in this. I just get that you can't really go probably to the extreme that we all believe the players deserve. It's because the CFL isn't quite there yet. I don't know how they get there. I don't think it's CFL 2.0 quite yet, but they, 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 they probably can. This, this league just needs a shot in the arm of something to really rejuvenate itself. No, and, and, and I'm absolutely with you. I, honestly, to me, the more I look at it, the more I see, you know, to me, I, I, I don't know, and, and, and anybody that listens that wants to reach out on Twitter or whatever, I think if you set the minimum salary – around that 75 to 80 grand a year mark yeah. that, that a guy can comfortably live off of that. Um, yeah, and, and the league it, and the league has a very poor Canadian dollar right now working against it, which is unfortunate. There's not really yeah. a lot you can do about that. Really? This isn't no, like exactly. the NHL where they have the old equalization program where they gave some money to Canadian teams to offset that. Cool. Yeah. That worked for the NHL because they are in both countries. There's nothing that can, you know, it's not like the NFL can say, oh, here's a check for $3 million to make up for your weak dollar. Like, <laughs> Yeah, well, and, that, and, that, and that's exactly it. But, I mean, to me, I think if you float that minimum salary number around 80, 75 to 80. Yeah, you could probably think, slowly build it up over, the, net, over yeah. the course of the CBA so it's not like a substantive day one cost increase for most of these teams. Well, and, and, and I, would, I would agree. I would, I would be, to me, I, I, I think... The top end guys are always going to get paid, and mm-hmm. that's fine. Yep. But I, I think your bottom end guys, like your practice roster guys that are making pennies to be on yeah. the practice roster, and, and you know, starting salary in the league being 50G, again, I know that's a lot. For some people, that is a lot of money at 50Gs, but you know, they're also putting their bodies on the line and, and doing something that none of us could do. I would love to see some sort of sliding scale that by your fifth year in the league, you can't make less than... 125 or something like that right you've paid your dues you put in your yeah. time you know some and, sort and of not sliding. a lot of guys really get to that point quite frankly yeah and, and you're absolutely right i mean there's not you're right there's not a lot of minimum you know minimum salaried guy guys that stick around that long so i, I just I, i'd like to see something and i know it's still rare but i would like to see the cfl be able to pay people well enough that Becoming a police officer or a firefighter is not a, like, raise. You know, yeah. if you still want to do that for the many reasons that playing professional football, the things it can do to your body and will do to your body. But to me, you know, a guy should be able to make a decent little living for his three-year average career in the CFL. Again, nobody's going to get rich, but at least the guy should be able to support his family it's, and not have to, and not have to bend over backwards and eat Mr. Noodles every single night. Was on the practice roster, right? Yeah, I I think that's fair, and that's that's probably where it should go. And we'll just, we'll have to wait and see kind of how negotiations play out. And there's obviously a lot of other things at stake, things yeah. that are you know far more pressing. And there's you know there's a lot of talk about you know health benefits and you know this and that and the other thing. And all that stuff is great, and I think all those things are important that need to be discussed about. But at the end of the day, this always this all this stuff always comes down to money. That other stuff is negotiable if the money is there. Is essentially what it eventually usually comes down to. Yeah, you're you're absolutely bang on with that. So um, I think we missed the first two weeks of camp. 
maybe the first preseason game, but it'll get resolved. There's no way. There's no way it can't. No, this like, league, this like, league can't afford to miss actual games. No, absolutely. You are absolutely correct with that, Joel. And so. I guess the biggest question, and I think I'm going to write this piece uh, for Three Down Nation a little bit here as we're going to get into training camp preview mode on the site. So look for your previews across the league coming out uh, this week. And for me, you know, Ryder training camp, we all, we know what's happening on defense. We know what's happening on special teams. So it's not overly interesting. We know Zach Caleros is going to be the starting quarterback. Yeah. So the only question is, what can the offense do this year? Can they find a Canadian receiver who can contribute a little bit? You know, no offense, Corey Watson, but he's going to be in there to be a blocker if these other two guys don't yeah. step up. So I think really if you're going into camp, that is really the only question is what is going to happen with the offense? Can they find some sort of form where they can help the defense this year? Because as we talk about the defense maybe being stronger in a traditional sense, that means they're not going to score a touchdown every single game like they did last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you're absolutely right, Joel. I mean, I, I think an interesting battle for me, and maybe you see a signing after uh, the CBA is settled, but uh, history says, this, despite what everybody says, that Zach Galeros is, is not more susceptible to concussions after his other concussions, that's that's BS. That is mm-hmm. pure and utter BS. Like, ask any doctor. You've had one concussion, you are at risk for many. I am living proof of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who's going to be the backup quarterback? Because I don't have any, I don't have any confidence in Cody Fajardo coming off the bench. Tell you how much. Oh God, like zero, (laughs) zero confidence in that. Um, he is the master of the quarterback sneak, but yeah, that that, and that is a position. The quarterback, the the quarterback is always scrutinized in this league. Mm -hmm. But I think that will be the one place where you have to watch who's going to be the backup. Does somebody emerge? And just can Zach Caleros get it done? I believe if healthy. Zach Caleros can be the guy that won't lose you a game. Yeah, well, he proved that last year. Exactly. And, I, 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 I will maintain, I think if Zach Caleros was healthy enough to play in that playoff game, they would have beat the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The way, if the, game, the way that game played. Because Caleros would have made that pass to Naaman Roosevelt in the opening quarter for a touchdown that would have changed the entire flow of that game. Yep, and I'm absolutely with you on that one. Uh, but I mean, you know... We talked to a guy, you know, when we talked to Derek Taylor, new voice of the Riders, mm-hmm. uh, who does research upon research upon research, and he he's the anti us essentially. Exactly, basically, yeah, exactly. <laughs> when we do research, it's like holy crap, one of us did something. When Derek Taylor does research, that's just called Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Um, but when DT is is still high on on Caleros, uh, and I think for Caleros, that's that's. It's not the same vote as confidence of hearing it from your head coach, but, you know, when a guy like DT, who knows his ish, and is the new voice of your team, is high on you, that's a cool little feather in your cap. So I'm hoping that uh, Derek is right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm hoping he'd come out. But, but again, history says you're going to probably need your backup quarterback for three to four games if Zach Caleros is your guy. No matter who your guy is, that's just that's just basically the world of football today. I don't think yeah. anyone has any expectations really of any player going through an entire season other than maybe, you know, you know, three or four of your offensive linemen, frankly. Like yeah. For the most part, you're going to have the guys miss a game or two. And at the quarterback position, that is entirely vital. That is, it is the most important position on the field for a reason. So you need that guy behind them. That, okay, if you need him for an entire season, you're not going to go anywhere. But you know he can come in and at least not lose a football game or two. Yeah, and, and, I, and, I and may, maybe David Watford evolves to that guy. I don't know. Maybe he takes a big step this year. Maybe this other kid they signed out of uh, Colorado is that guy. I don't know. He's not going to be there this year. 
but yeah, maybe, maybe he gets there. So it's always, you know, I always maintain the quarterbacks in this league generally come out of nowhere. It's not usually yeah. the guy you expect to be. So that'll be interesting. And, you know, there's no, I don't think there's an answer on the roster right now. So you're kind of crossing your fingers unless you really do think Cody Fajardo can work in your offense, which I guess maybe he can. It's not an overly complicated at offense. It's not an exciting yeah. offense. You know, he can probably throw the bubble screen. I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I would hope so. <laughs> throw, throw the bubble screen in the seven yard slant. Um, yeah. But, but does this mean, Joel, now that we've made peace with, with, with Sam Hurl being primarily a specials teamer, does that mean Cody Fajardo is our new designated whipping boy? I have a hard time making the backup quarterback the whipping boy. You, you mean the starting, quarter, the starting quarterback after Zach Galeros coughs too hard and gives himself a 17th concussion? Yeah, we'll have to see. I'm I'm willing to give the I'm willing to give it a look here, and I have a hard time, who you know, making a guy who is really has no chance of succeeding being the whipping boy. I think it's one of those things that has to evolve naturally. And we'll, or we'll to... or or we could just make him the unnatural whipping boy. So if the riders lose. Like, we blame Cody Fajardo somehow. Oh, it's like the old hashtag blame Durant. Exactly. <laughs> I am so on board with it.